God. Amen. In your Bible, if you would join me in the book of Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, and this is the transition in the teaching of our Lord as we will be in the next handful of months teaching through the parables of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 13, the Bible tells us here in verse number 1, and we're going to read down to verse 17 this morning. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. Great multitudes were gathered unto him so that he went into a ship and sat and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell among stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith or immediately they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. He shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that he hath. One gospel record says even that he seems to have had. Verse 13, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah the prophet, or Isaiah which saith, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross or become dull, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. God, you're so good to us today that song and praise and worship and time and energy and all that we could offer you today would not begin to compare to the worth of the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But it is a joy for us to come today with thanksgiving. Uh, the cold is not enough to keep us from worshiping you. Uh, we, we delight in your word. We delight in our Savior. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that indwells us, our resident truth teacher. We pray that you would open our eyes to behold glorious and wonderful things from your word. Be our teacher today. Help the frailty of myself, Father, be able to proclaim the glory of your word. May you be put on display today through the richness of the text. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, remove the dull heart, remove the pride and the skeptical mind that can often cause a person to be blinded until they would end up in hell. I pray that you would bring any today that doesn't know Christ to salvation. Lord, redeem the lost. And I pray for the saved, Lord. I pray for your church. I pray that you would bless them. I pray you would bless every father and mother today and child and, and parent and grandparent and family and marriage. And God, that your Holy Spirit would just do such a work. God, we need you as your people. This world is dark and it is falling so fast. And may we stand as salt and light for the glory of our King. We ask it in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Man, you may be seated this morning. When you read the four Gospels, which give us the accounts of our Lord's life, 
it puts on display that Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost and to offer the eternal kingdom to men. One way the Lord presented the eternal realities of the kingdom was by using a teaching technique called parables. All the parables the Lord gave were in regard to the kingdom of God. He would use these earthly stories to pull in his listeners, and then he would turn the story on its head in some way as a gotcha moment, if you would, and he would have some shocking conclusion or revelation about the kingdom that the listener did not know about. These simple stories were designed to startle and challenge the listeners on what they thought they knew about God and his kingdom. And they became the favorite teaching device of the Lord as the Gospels record dozens of them. Parables were not invented by Christ. You notice when the disciples said, why do you speak in parables? They didn't ask what is a parable because this was a very familiar way of teaching among the Jewish rabbis. It was found also throughout places of the Old Testament. Some parables were very short, others were lengthy and more complete. Christ would utilize everyday aspects of their life that the listeners could clearly understand so that he could unfold truths about the kingdom that they did not understand. And so the purpose of parables were twofold, and it's essential to know that. Parables were designed to both reveal and to conceal. When the disciples asked why he taught in parables in verse 11, The Lord responds, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. To those who listened with faith in Christ, to those who, according to verse number 9, had ears to hear, parables expounded their understanding and grasp of the kingdom of God. But to those who did not listen with faith, parables became a way of judging them, of concealing truth from them. Kind of a shocking thought, isn't it? That God would do something to keep truth from people. And at the end of the Lord's teaching of the parables, there were some who went away eternally blessed with greater truth and light, and then some who went away in complete obscurity and darkness. So in spite of Christ preaching up to this point and ministering for over a year, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, teaching God's perfect truth in the perfect way, the crowds began to reject him. And the reason they rejected him was because they had focused on such a physical deliverer in the person of their Messiah, who would liberate them from Rome's oppressive hand, who would be their knight in shining armor. They were looking for this earthly conqueror and an earthly king and his kingdom. But Christ was so humble the entourage of a bunch of fishermen that surrounded him and just common blue-collared workers was confounding to them. It It just didn't fit what their minds had created. Also, the Jews saw the scribes and Pharisees, their religious leaders, as the spiritually elite. They were so exalted in the eyes of the Jews that when the scribes and Pharisees rejected Jesus, they were not able to, it was hard for them to overcome that. If, 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 in other words, if their preachers were rejecting the Messiah, how could they as the people accept him? And the reason the scribes and Pharisees rejected Jesus, you need to understand, is they, though they had the Old Testament, though they had read and studied the Old Testament, and the law was designed not to save, but to show man their need of a savior all the old testament sacrifices pointed to the need of sins being forgiven even the high priest could not enter into the holy place without offering sacrifice for himself hebrews 9 and 10 and so it was pointing to the lamb of god who would take away the sin of the world this is isaiah 53 that we just read about today god's holy lamb this is psalms 22 And so they rejected Christ. They'd also made so many religious traditions, so many man-made rules and, and religious traditions, and they elevated these traditions, quite frankly, over the Word of God. That's why Jesus said in Mark 7, you nullify the Word of God by your tradition. This is what churches like both the Catholic and Orthodox churches have done, and many other churches have done such things to where they elevate tradition 
not only on par, but they end up taking over the word of God. And so they become the staple of the religious groups. And because Jesus intentionally, intentionally violated those man-made traditions, those religious traditions, it assaulted them and they could not get past that. It was so offensive to them. And, and so rejection continues to mount and Jesus' message goes from an invitation to the kingdom to now judgment upon those who were rejecting him. Christ came into the world to bring salvation, not to condemn the world. But listen, the reason he didn't come to condemn the world is because the world was already condemned. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And it goes on to say, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned when? Already, because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Those who have not believed are already. It would be like if the Titanic was sinking, the enemy didn't come to shoot it down or to sink the Titanic. Uh, it was already going under. Listen, the, the, the Titanic is this earth and it's going down and, and judgment's going to fall because of the sinfulness and Christ came to save. And Christ transitions his preaching from salvation to judgment, starting really midway through chapter 11. He was declaring a very shocking message to them. This was potent. This was offensive. If you think his uh, healing people on the Sabbath and violating their traditions was offensive, what, what do you think they felt when he said Sodom and Gomorrah will rise up in judgment against you uh, because they would have repented at this preaching and this ministry, but you wouldn't repent as religious Jews of today? That was so offensive to them. Uh, he was saying things that he knew would push them further away. He was saying things that he knew would cause them to be more angry. Those who rejected him had more reason to reject him. He wasn't lightening the rejection. Think about that in comparison to the Americanized culture of churches today. How, how we feel in so many realms of Christianity that the success of a church is based on its acceptance by a fallen world. Is the church... Good if it's accepted by a world that celebrates transgenderism, homosexuality, who, who, who lightly uh, brings judgment upon those who molest children, who hold such a low view of morality. But even when Jesus was preaching such offensive messages, such as he did back in Matthew 11, he said at the end of that chapter, verse 28, Come unto me, all you that labor under heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. He still keeps the door open. Then in chapter 13, he makes another transition. This time teaching in parables. Which to the faithful believer was a blessing. But to those who rejected it was judgment. It was a way of actually concealing truth from them. He goes from teaching clearly. Opening the door of salvation. Then to preaching judgment. Then to concealing the truth. Until finally you get to Acts 2 and he hides the truth from them and speaks to them in other languages. Do you know why he preached in other languages to them in Acts 2? It was a sign of judgment, not to those who believe, but to those who believe not according to 1 Corinthians 14, 20 through 22. Both quoting the Old Testament and verified in the New Testament. Tongues were a sign of judgment to unbelieving Jews that if you don't believe and listen to his clear teaching, he'll preach in other languages. Now salvation has gone to the Gentiles. Read Acts chapter 28. The end of the chapter says that exact statement. Praise God that we have been called into the family of God. Amen. Uh, you are Jewish people or Gentile people. But there is no more Jew or Greek, bond or free, male or female. We're all one in Christ. Amen. That's, that's what the church is, this mystery age. And so as we enter into chapter 13, you just need to understand tension has grown against Christ. I think about the tragedy of that. The great teacher, the Messiah, the son of the living God coming and proclaiming salvation, proclaiming entrance into eternal life, into the kingdom, and they're rejecting him. They basically banished him from the synagogues, the, which would, we, would, we would term as like the church of their day. 
but that would not stop the Lord from proclaiming the word of God. When the doors of the synagogue were closed against him, he took the temple of the open air to proclaim his word. Look at verse 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house. I mean, this is the same day that all that we preached, and I preached a lot of verses last week. All that went on, this is the same day. Jesus' schedule was busy. There was a lot going on. And he sat by the seaside. This is in Capernaum. The Sea of Galilee is, is more like a lake, we, we would term it as. This is a 13-mile long, 6-mile wide lake. I've been there. I've crossed it on a boat. Um, verse 2, it says, and I, would, well, I really wanted to fish there, I confess. This has nothing to do with the message, but it's, uh, there's a lot of fish there. It's the lowest body of fresh water on the planet, so it's very nutrient-rich. This is, this is where Peter, Andrew, James, and John fish. But wouldn't it be cool to fish on the shore, catch a fish and eat it, knowing that's the same location that those guys did? Just saying. <laughs> Verse 2, And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship. They, they were pressing on him to the point where, and it's not really like, like a ship in terms of what we understand a ship. I mean, we got people here that are in the Navy. You know what a ship is. I mean, that's a massive vessel. You don't put ships on the Sea of Capernaum. This is, this is more of a boat, uh, a shipping, a, a, a fishing vessel. And they sat down and the whole uh, multitude stood on the shore. Now, you know, I think about this because I like to go to the ocean, different places and fish off the surf. And, you know, you don't just, you don't just sit in a boat without somebody holding that, right? I mean, it's, it's, somebody's in the water holding the boat. Otherwise, you're like, you know, how are you going to teach? This thing's moving. The, you know, the water's going to be moving around. So, so very likely, Jesus is in the boat. You probably have a couple of the disciples standing chest deep in the water, like holding this thing. There's something that's keeping this from, from moving around so that he can instruct them. Also, it created just a, a, a very uh, interesting scene. You know, all the people are standing and the teacher sitting. I thought maybe we could try that sometime, you know. Spurgeon quiped off of that. He says, we would have less sleeping in the congregation if that arrangement was provided, you know, uh, today. But I see here the great fisher of men is fishing from a boat with his words. And he's declaring the gospel through parable. And it says in verse 3 that he spake many things unto them in parables. And that brings me to the first point today. What is a parable? What is a parable? Well, this is the first of eight parables given in chapter 13. He gives eight parables in chapter 13. We're going to look at these over these weeks. And the word parable comes from the Greek word parabole, and it is a compound word. Para means alongside of, and bale means to lay or to place. And it's the idea of laying something down next to something else for the purpose of comparing them. It's like when two fishermen go fishing, right? It's like, my fish is bigger than yours, and you lay it down, and then you lay the other one down. You're comparing these different fish, or in, in this idea of, of laying down a spiritual truth, because spiritual truths are really abstract, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's what is that, and, and what would that look like? And it's to lay it beside a physical object so the spiritual could be understood. You know, we are we have, a, we have a spirit inside of us, an, an eternal part of us, but we are physical beings. Our senses are, are you know, the, the senses that we have, taste, sight, smell, hearing, all these things. Uh, we, we, we're able to perceive and understand. And so when people begin to talk in, in spiritual language, it's hard to comprehend that. What does that mean? What does that look like? And so parables gave a physical object uh, as a picture for the spiritual abstract teaching. And so in Matthew 13, Jesus used familiar things such as soil, seeds, birds, thorns, rocks, sun, wheat, tares, mustard seed, leaven, hidden treasures, a pearl. Prior to Matthew 13, he had already been using physical objects to elucidate spiritual truths. He spoke of Christians' spiritual influence to penetrate the world as being salt and light in the world. He spoke of trusting God for earthly provision. And he says, look at the birds. Do you see that bird over there with a barn? Do they have a storehouse? Do they have a 401k? Are they concerned about provision? He says, they're not worried at all. He says, and every day they have to go out and they find food. And, and, and aren't you so much better than birds? 
And he used lilies of the field and used them to teach about provision of clothing. He spoke of only one of two spiritual paths you could be on in Matthew 7, verse 12 and 13. He says, either you're on a narrow path that leads to life. And, and people could understand a narrow path. People could understand a broad path. And he says, many are on the broad path and it's leading to eternal hell. And, and, and that was a startling reality. He spoke of the evidence of man's spiritual condition being like a tree that has fruit. Just like you can, it makes sense, it makes sense that if a tree is alive, it bears fruit. So a spiritual sense, if you're a Christian, there'll be fruit in your life. You can understand that abstract spiritual reality by the physical object. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he gave this powerful illustration and image of a man building on a rock versus someone building on the sand. And you say, what is the rock? It's the word of God because he says, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them will be a wise man who built on the rock. But any man who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, you choose to do something else. You build your life on your own wisdom. Then you're building on sand. And he gives an illustration He's giving you the spiritual ultimate reality in physical pictures. Now, back in chapter 11, he gave the picture of children playing in a market. He says, we've piped unto you. You didn't dance. We mourned. You would not lament. And, 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 and he says, there's nothing we can do to satisfy you. That's what he tells the people of his day. He was constantly taking physical objects around him, illuminating spiritual truths with them. He was giving truth in picture form. So a parable is a comparison of one thing to another. In the Bible, it is a comparison of earthly things to heavenly things. Uh, we often define a parable as an earthly story with a heavenly or spiritual meaning. Let me give you five benefits of teaching in parables, at least five benefits. First of all, parables help solidify and clarify the abstract. If I were to ask you to describe beauty, how would you describe it? Which, by the way, science cannot define beauty. People say, well, I believe in science. Well, then define science, define beauty with science. Science can't do that. Science is extremely limited, isn't it? And so, what is beauty? Uh, but if I pointed you to the sunrise we had a couple days ago, and the whole sky is painted a brilliant orange, uh, you don't have to even go into the description of it. You can just show them that picture and the image, and it is beautiful. You can see something that the earthly eye understands that that is an exalted thing. If I ask you to define for me what is good, again, science cannot determine that. How do you define good? That would be challenging if you could not describe good actions or exemplify it with your actions. But when you do that and you paint a picture with actions, it is immediately understood. The abstract truths need to be embodied. It needs to take shape in a person. That's what parables did. It enfleshed, it incarnated abstract truths. That's why the incarnation of Christ was necessary. He became really a parabolic person. What you saw in him was the reality of the eternal God. Isn't it a blessing that he would walk 17 miles in one day to the city of Nain to raise a widow's dead son? That's what God does. Isn't it beneficial to know that when he came to the tomb of Lazarus, and he knew he was going to raise him, that he was so overwhelmed. God in a body was so overwhelmed with emotion, he wept for them. Is that helpful? Are you awake this morning? <laughs> Isn't that beneficial? Isn't it nice to know God loves us? Isn't it wonderful? And so we, we would see that and be, be so overwhelmed with thanks for such things. So for people to learn about these, these truths in a body, it really helped put God on display. Secondly, for people to learn about what they do not understand, you have to start with what they do understand. A parable takes people from, again, the physical to the spiritual, what they cannot see. Or, so you, you show them something they can see to bring them to what they cannot see. Do you remember when in John 3, when Nicodemus says, uh, we know you're a teacher sent from God. Nobody can do these things except God be with them. And Jesus said, you must be born again. I mean, this is a spiritual truth, salvation. How do, you, how, do you, how do you paint that? 
And uh, John the Baptist says, how can I go into my mother's womb again? I mean, he's so caught up in the physical. And Jesus is showing and teaching the spiritual birth that you become a new creation in Christ. You're born again from above. Your spirit comes to life. You become a child of God. Just like someone is physically born, we can all understand, so someone is spiritually born. Just like you had a physical birthday, you had a spiritual birthday. No one has always been alive and no one has always been saved. There was a day you were lost and there was a day you got saved. Paul said of himself in Ephesians 2.1 that he was, dead in, he was dead in his sins before he knew Christ. So, so he paints that with the woman at the well. How do you explain salvation to this woman? He says, You're, give, give me to drink. And she says, how are you being a Jew? Asketh drink of me, which I'm a woman of Samaria. And he said, if you knew who it was that was talking to you, you would have asked of me and I would have given you living water. He begins to use the picture of how we all know that in three days, if you don't have water, you will begin to die. And, and just like we need physical water to live, we need Christ who is the living water to have spiritual life. We get that. We understand that. In John 6, he talks, he fed 5,000 uh, plus men, women and children uh, would have been fifteen to 20,000 with five loaves and two fishes. He says, don't labor for the bread that perishes, but labor for that bread which gives you eternal life. And they said, give us this bread. He said, Moses gave you that bread in the wilderness and, and, and they all died. He says, he says, I will give you a bread that will give you everlasting life. They're like, give us that bread. He says, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. He's, he's trying to show them, not, not literally eating him. They weren't like, oh, let's cook Jesus, right? What's amazing to me is how there are some today who believe that you, in the Lord's Supper, it literally becomes the body and blood of Jesus, literal body and blood of Jesus. And, and, and he says to them, and, and they get so offended by this, they, like the masses of them leave. Let me ask you a question. If, if, if parables were designed to reveal truth to the believers and to conceal truth from the unbelievers, why would he then start teaching about the Lord's Supper at a time when everybody in the crowd was rejecting him in John 6? Everybody leaves him. Was he like, you know, I'm going to unveil the Lord's Supper now to you. That's the most ridiculous understanding of that text that some groups have come to. Jesus was not talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood literally. That's why when they all left and he allowed them to leave offended and confused, he did not even concern himself that they got it wrong. When they left, his disciples says, don't you know that they've offended? This is a hard saying. He says, the word that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. He says, the flesh profits nothing. The words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus was speaking in a spiritual sense, just like he wasn't talking about a literal physical birth in John 3, talking about literal water in John 4. He wasn't talking about literal bread in John 6. And then in John 10, he wasn't talking about a literal gate. He said, I am the gate. I am the shepherd. He's not talking about a literal that he's a gate. Isn't it amazing how people can get confused? The only people who got confused about it were unbelievers. That just shows you the groups that are missing it are not filled with saved people. Now, when I share the gospel, I always start with what someone does understand to explain something they don't understand. So I ask somebody like this, you know, if, if you stood before God and he said, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And if you're here today and you don't know that answer... Right after this service, come to Foundations. I will sit down. I have a little book. We'll give you, and, and we have new people in there each week, and, and we'll walk through this, and you'll learn what the Bible says about that. And people say, I don't know, or they'll base it on their good works or something. And I say, well, well, if you were wrong, would you want to know? And so what does the Bible say? So if I said, what is sin? Sin is so abstract, isn't it? Like, what is sin? What is sin? But, but, but if I, so people struggle to understand, like, how do you define it? People will begin to say, like, well, you know, lying's a sin. Well, those are sins, but what is sin? What is sin? So, so I say, well, if you go out here and go 55 and a 35, that's called breaking the law. law. 
And so sin is breaking what? God's law. So, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. So I do this all the way through so people can understand spiritual truths, starting with a physical truth. There's some people, perhaps even you're here today, you say, I've been saved for a lot of years. Uh, I don't need to go through foundations. Then you better be able to walk through the gospel with somebody extremely clearly. If if you can do that, fantastic, and you should be able to do that. But if you're like, man, I I would really like to know uh, a, a good way to present the gospel, then come to foundations. Learn how to do that. You could take that book. You could sit down with your friends. You could, it's so important to know that. If there's one thing you should set as a goal this year is to know how to share the gospel and have shared the gospel with people in your life that you care about. Make sure that everybody in your life that you care about, you have at least brought the gospel to and then go out from your Jerusalem, then to your Judea, Samaria. Your neighbors should know you're a Christian. Your coworkers should know that. It should just continue on. And so, uh, let me give you some other reasons. Parables, uh, thirdly, uh, compel interest because they create a story. Uh, So first of all, parables help solidify abstract truth. Uh, They help people uh, understand things uh, by pointing them to things they do understand to open up their eyes to things they don't. And then thirdly, parables compel interest because they create a story. Uh, Pictures are much easier to remember if you have a picture, you, you, can, you can remember that. And so stories are, are really just an illustration. It's like taking your words and using them as a paintbrush. In Luke 12, Jesus is preaching on the eternal realities of the kingdom. A man totally misses it in the crowd. I mean, he just gets done. I never can get over Luke 12. Jesus just got done preaching to a crowd of 10,000 plus. And there's a man at the end of it who stands up and says, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I cannot think of a dumber statement that I've ever heard since I've been alive. That, that man put his stupidity on display. And, 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 and the foolishness to a level that cannot even be comprehended. You're, you're, you're going to ask Jesus about your stuff? I mean, the one who can give you eternal life just gave the message of eternal life. And there's like 10,000 people here, and you're going to ask about, tell your brother to share his stuff with you? Are you kidding me? Like, how blind, how unbelievable. Jesus says, man, who made me a divider and arbitrator over you guys? Jesus would have nothing to do with it. He says, let me tell you a story. And then he goes into the story. He says, there was a rich man who had big barns. And he's like, you know what? I have such a bumper crop this year. I'm going to tear down my barns and build even bigger barns. And then I'm going to fill my barns up until I have so much that I think, you know what? I'll never have need again. I'll eat, drink, and be merry the rest of my life. And Jesus says, you fool. He says, your life is required of you this night. And who shall, those things be, who shall have those things that you've laid up in store? And, and then the Lord says, so, so shall it be for everyone who is rich in this world but is poor toward God. You have nothing for God. Let me ask you, are you earthly rich and heavenly poor, friend? Much better to be heavenly rich than earthly rich. And, and, and Christ paints this picture. Do you think that man ever forgot that? I mean, he's like, maybe Jesus will, you know, Jesus wants people to be fair. And, and Lord, and, and he went away that day with his tail between his Third, another story is um, the story of the two men who went to the temple to pray. Uh, this didn't actually happen. Uh, it could have happened, but it, it's, a, it's a parable. It's a story. And Jesus says in Luke 18, 9 and 10, he says, He spake a parable unto them, a certain rich men who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. And so he said, these two men went up. There was a Pharisee. He began to pray, Lord, I thank you that I'm not at others, other men. And then, and then standing afar off was a publican. And, and he beat on his chest and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus, the shocking point of the story, the gotcha moment, is that the Pharisee did not get forgiven, but the publican did. The publicans were the lowest of the low in that day. They hated publicans. They were the tax collectors. They despised them. They were traitors to the Jewish people. And, and it just shocked. He kept shocking everybody. It was just, just, and then the story of the Good Samaritan. What, what a shock there. We don't even blink at it. The story of the Good Samaritan. We're like, yeah, that's a good story. To the Jew, they're like, the good, what did you just say? Did you say Samaritan? Like, like the enemy? I mean, this would be like living in the 1940s saying the story of the good German. I mean, you'd be like, what did you just say? 
I mean, this was so offensive to them. They were just appalled at this. If you're from Germany, we thank God for you being here today, right? <laughs> Don't write me a letter or anything. It's not necessary. I say all kinds of things that are offensive. Um, but we, we read that, and, and, and we remember that story, don't we? The, 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 the priest goes by, the, the religious leader goes by, but then the Samaritan stops and helps the guy. Story of the rich man in hell. What a shock. What a shock that the rich man goes to hell and the beggar to heaven. you kidding me? We thought, we thought God gave people who, who were rich on the earth. We, we, they had TBN back then, too. They, they, they believed the rich people were the God's favored people. Benny Hinn must have been around back then. I don't know. But, um, but it wasn't that way. It was, it was just because somebody's poor doesn't mean God is punishing them. And, and this was a shock to them. These stories would have stuck with these people throughout their life. It would have just been so powerful. I think about the story of the prodigal son. You're, you're telling me that he's going to forgive that guy? The, the, the boy who wasted all that, and, and just because he humbles himself and repents, this is so shameful. But the story pulls in interest from the hearer and also causes you to remember it. A fourth benefit of parables is it provokes you to think and pursue the truth for yourself. The parable does not do all the thinking for people. That's why as a teacher, if you're a teacher, you, you should learn to ask questions. Uh, parables share the story and it causes you to ask, what is the truth of this? And how do I apply this to my life? For example, look at verse 3. He spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Immediately you're like, well, who's the sower? Verse 3, he goes on. Or verse 4, And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside. The fowls came and devoured them up. So the wayside, everybody there, again, as we, as we go through, I'm not going to explain the parable of soil today. I, I won't tell you how many pages of notes on that, but that's coming next week. So many truths that we're going to pull out of this. But, but they understood this. And you have to, and, and, and next week, I'm going to take you into the eyes of the people of Palestine in that day. And you will see how they saw this. We Americanize Christianity. They were Jewish people listening to a Jewish Messiah reading from Old Testament Jewish texts. They, they like they didn't have the New Testament. Their mindset was different. They, they, they understood what he was talking about. Farmers going out to sow. They knew what the wayside was. And then he talks about in verse 5, they knew that when people sow, sometimes birds come and pick them up, and some fall on the hard ground called the wayside. Verse 5, some fell on stony places. They, they understood the limestone beds that were underground, sometimes causing things to spring up quickly, as verse 5 says. Verse 6, when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root and withered away. They, they could comprehend that. Verse 7, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. Uh, they understood that at the edges of some of the fields that sometimes seeds would fall, and because they were overgrown with thick areas of brush and thorns, that would not allow the plant and crop to grow up. But other fell on good ground and brought forth. And I can tell you where the shock of the story is is verse 8. And none of us are shocked by it. That's why we read it in American eyes. We don't even comprehend it. I can tell you when he read verse 8, they would have been like, are you kidding me? But other fell on good ground, brought forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. The reason we don't say, are you kidding me? Because we don't understand what that means. But if you do understand what that means, you're like, what? This is ridiculous. So if you want to know what it means, you need to come back next week. That's what a parable does. It makes people think, what does that mean? And then look what he says the next verse in verse 9. Who hath ears to hear, let him what? Hear. hear. He just leaves them with that. <laughs> what are you, you're just going to stop there? I know some of you are like, that's so annoying. That's so frustrating. To be continued. But you'll remember this all week. You'll be like, it's so, why? And you'll, be, you'll study it out. And then I'll expand on it next week. Verse, so, so we see here, Christ elevates the pursuit of the truth was needed to understand the truth. Some things people will never understand until they discover it for themselves. We live in a world that's extremely lazy-minded people. They let their teachers do all the learning for them. 
we can't do that. We have to pursue and hunger after truth. You, you know the key word in, in chapter 13, verse 1 through, uh, verse 9 through 23, you know what the key word is? I'll let you think about it for about 10 seconds. I want you to consider for just a moment what you think the key word was of the text that we read today. What did you hear over and over and over and 17 times said? You know what it was? Verse 9, he who hath ears to, what's the word? Hear. Hear. Let him Look at verse 18. Hear, therefore, the parable of the sower. Verse 17. Just constantly, you just hear, 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 hear. Just over and over from verse 9 through verse 23, 17 times the word is used. Parables were a way that Jesus compelled men to pursue the truth. What does that tell us? It means he wants us to think. He compels us to be active listeners and pursuers of the truth. That's why we're doing this Sunday night LBC 242. You know the difference between reading the Bible and studying the Bible? It's one key truth. How do you know if you ever study? How do you know if you ever study? The difference is people who study will ask questions. If you never read the Bible with questions, then you're not studying the Bible. You're not. You're just reading it. I'll find myself on a rabbit trail so far deep on something, I'm like, what does that mean? You know, and then you start going over here. The benefit of what we're doing on Sunday night starting in February is we will teach you to study the Bible. And if that is a desire of your heart, you say, well, I already do that. Well, wouldn't you like to help other people do that? If you're doing that on your own, who are you doing that with somebody else? That's why my prayer is that we would have 100% attendance at that from our church, which unfortunately I know that's not going to happen, but I would press you on that to be a part of that. My joy is not simply what I get to study and share with others. It's getting to hear from them, to hear them share what God's done in their life. That is so rich for me. Ah, it's so rewarding. It's It's so wonderful. I just so love that. And so let's go down to a fifth thought here. Parables also conceal truth from the lazy, indifferent listener and opponent of Christ. Uh, That was also a benefit. It it kept the richness, the riches of Christ from those who didn't treat it as riches. You say, why is that a benefit? Let me ask you a question. Let me paint a picture. Would you reward the 25-year-old who doesn't work, sits in your basement, and plays video games all day with a $2,000 allowance every month? You would say that would be so damaging to him. Exactly. So if that's damaging, how much more damaging is it to give the eternal treasure of God's word to those who treat it as nothing? So God doesn't do that. Thirdly, parables were a blessing. Secondly, five benefits we saw of parables. Thirdly, parables were a blessing to those who hear. Look at verse 10. It says, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them? And parables. Isn't that interesting that they ask him that? Do you know why they ask him that? See, I just asked you a question. Now you have to think about it. The reason they asked him that is they were concerned that the people wouldn't understand it. They're like, why are you saying this? Like, well, you, you didn't even give them the understanding of it. They, they, they were concerned about that. According to Mark's account of this story, They asked Jesus what the meaning of the parable was after the crowds dispersed. Jesus only taught the parable to the people. He never gave the meaning to them. Mark 4.10, And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him of the parable. You know who got the truth of the parable? The people who waited around and asked the questions. I just wonder when Jesus says, oh, you heard my word, did you? And you got nothing from it? Oh, you got nothing from it, right? And you thought the word or the preacher or the teacher was at fault. How many people went home that day and said, I thought this guy was a good teacher, man. Jesus is so confusing. I don't get anything. He's talking, it's so simple. What is he talking about farming? This guy don't have a clue what he's talking about. And he does some big miracles. He heals people, does some of these things. But Jesus, you're, you're just a joke. 
I don't know, this guy can't be the Messiah. His teachings are just awkward. So confusing. I get nothing out of it. And Jesus would just, and you never will. But the ones who hung around and said, what does that mean? They probably had to miss lunch for that. They, they probably had to, to get out of the water and were dripping wet, maybe a little chilly, maybe wanted to go change. But instead they said, Lord, we, we need to know what you mean. Can you expound that to us? I, I, just, uh, I, just wonder, I just wonder what God thinks when we have his word. They didn't have this like this. See this? They didn't have this. How, how we have this. And, and some of us can go all week without like reading it, let alone even asking questions. We're not even starting to read it. Some of you read it and study it. I, I sat down with the family this week, uh, and, and my heart was so encouraged. This, one, one person was, was just sharing. They came to tears probably a half dozen times in utter joy of the truths of God's word to their soul, at least. Just broke down in tears of the joy of God. And that just fills me with joy. I love that. I love people. I love to see when people just love the Lord. They, they treasure his treasure. They've, they found his treasure and it was satisfying. It was that rich. It rewarded them. They, they hungered for it and they were fed. I actually missed lunch yesterday. We were just talking about the word. I lost track of time. It was like an hour and a half past lunch. We, we just... Would have kept going, but there was an appointment that required the transition of our schedules. But what a blessing to be able to dive into the Word of God and just cherish that. Parables revealed greater truth to the faithful here. Look what he says in verse 11. He answered and said unto them, because it's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it's not given. Did you notice what he called the, did you notice what he called the parable here? He called it the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. The central truth of parables Jesus is giving here are designed to illumine the kingdom. What is a mystery? It's not mystical. It's, it, you, could, you could translate that as the word secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Because it's not like a, it, it's, it, it's the people who know it know it. It's not mysterious to them. They know it and they reveal the secret. Like, like the, and, and, and when you think about the word mystery, it, it, in, in the Bible, the, the, the meaning of it is this. Something that has been concealed for ages that has now been revealed. It's God's secret things. The secret things belong to the Lord. It's the same idea. It's Him revealing those. Romans 16, 25. He's revealed them now to the apostles and to us through Scripture. Romans 6.25 says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to, notice what he calls the preaching of Christ, the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. The mystery is the secret since the world began. But now is made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets. That's why we have the word. We have the mysteries revealed to us. I mean, they, they heard the parable. We can read it over and over and over and study it. And God's whole plan of salvation is spoken of as mysteries. The birth of Christ was called a mystery according to 1 Corinthians 2. The gospel is called a mystery according to Ephesians 6. The church was, a, was never spoken of in the Old Testament. It was a New Testament revelation, a New Testament revealing of, an Old Test, of, of a mystery. Ephesians 3 uh, chapter 5 also talk about that. The indwelling presence of Christ was called a mystery. Colossians 1, 26 and 7. The rapture of the church is not found in the Old Testament. Maybe only in a picture here and there. But it's revealed in the New Testament. That's why 1 Corinthians 15, 51 says, Behold, I'll show you a mystery. We'll not all die or sleep, but we shall all be transformed. Metamorphosed. Transformed into something different. Now, who are these mysteries given to? He says, it's given to you to know them. I, I want you to know them, but those who are unbelieving, those who have hard hearts, those who will not listen, they will not receive it. That's why he says at the end of verse 9, he that hath ears, let him hear. Uh, Luke's account of this 
in Luke 8, 8, it says he cried out, he that hath ears, let him hear. I mean, this was a passionate cry from the Lord to listen to what he just said. And they're like, listen to what? This is confusing. Expound it. There's no, they, they were just, it was lost to them. Throughout the scripture, God highlights the need for man to listen to him. 30 times the Old Testament declares, hear the word of the Lord, hear it. Psalms 78 verse 1 says, give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to hear the word of my mouth. When Jesus had the letters written to the seven churches of Revelation, what did he say each time? He that hath ears, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that hath ears to hear, let him. They kept saying that over and over and over again. Sadly, so many did not listen. So those who desire the truth, more truth will be given. Look what he says in verse 12. For to the one who has, more shall be given. Those who have ears to hear, those who perceive the truth, you're going to get more. You're going to get dumped on. And you'll have an abundance but from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Whatever he had, the bird will come and snatch. This is a parallel account of Mark 4, one of my favorite portions of Scripture. Mark 4 is spoken immediately after the parable of the sower, by the way. Mark 4, 24, listen to what he says. And he said unto them, take heed, which is the word idea of pay attention to what you hear, with what measure you meet. And he goes right into a picture again. What... However much you measure out, it will be measured to you. And to you that hear shall more be given. It's kind of like if you, you know, it would be the idea of like if you come and, 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 and I had some grain to give you back in that day. And if you had a cup that could hold, you know, a, a quarter of a pound, you know, then that's how much you're going to get. And, and, and uh, I don't know what the measuring items are for dry items here. Somebody probably knows all of these things, but they're, they're offering that. And he says, come with what vessel or what measure that you're offering, that's going to be given to you. In our, and it's a picture of our hearts. If you come with a desire to learn and a desire to grow and a desire to receive, God will give you the portion for which you sought and which you cleared yourself for. But if your cup is so filled up that there's nothing to pour in, it'll just not come to you. That's why before you come to church, the greatest thing you can do is get on your face and knees before God and say, God, fill me today. Open my eyes to behold wondrous things out of the law. Clear my mind of the clutter of this week. Wash me, cleanse me, help me to grasp the greatness of God. That's why, how can we walk in real late to church? How can we week in and week out just take it? It's, it's I would get too cluttered. Listen, if you came in late today, the roads could have been bad. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. Understand. Some, and know this, some people are out greeting, so they're like, oh, you know, I didn't come in late. So listen, don't you worry about anyone else ever. Somebody could have went to visit their grandma this morning in the hospital, just rushed to church 15 minutes late. Somebody could have worked all night and come in 15, 20 minutes late. Never let that be a hindrance. Care nothing what they think. Care what God thinks. But, but what I'm trying to say is take value with God's word so high that you would treat it great before you ever came here so that when you get here it's treated great as well you're going to get what you've put into it you will reap what you have sown is the idea now let me give you a closing the parables were a judgment to unbelievers parables were judgments to unbelievers and he transitions in verse 13 he says therefore speak I to them in parables because they seeing see not and hearing they hear not neither did they understand they, 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 they would not listen, now they cannot get it. Um, the only way that you can get spiritual truth is if God gives it to you. Notice what Jesus says to them, it's not given. What do you mean? You preached it to them. I'm not going to give the understanding to them. Do you, did you see that? You ever read Luke 24 and it says they could not understand what Jesus said. Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Luke 24. The only way you get it is if God gives it to you. Who do you say that I the son of man am? Some say thou art Elias, some, some the prophet, some Jeremiah. Uh, who do you say that I am? Peter, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter, you are just so sharp. You have listened so well. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. You understand, that's, if you're saved today, 
it wasn't the pastor that turned the light on for you. It was the Holy Spirit that did that work. Just think about that for a moment. If you're saved today, God opened you up. Because you were willing and your heart was opened and you listened. Sometimes pain precedes good ears. Sometimes he tills the soil with trials. The treasure is worth the tilling. So, 1 Corinthians 2, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, their foolishness to him, neither can he know them because they are, the spiritual things are only spiritually discerned. You can only get the spiritual things through the Spirit. A college professor was asking his class, how many of you believe the Bible is the Word of God? And he did so sneering at the class. Everybody was afraid to respond with affirmative. Only one kid said, I believe the Bible. Professor went on and began to mock Christianity, how it's a bunch of nonsense. And finally, at the end of class, he climaxed it by saying, young man, I want you to know the Bible is a bundle of blunders and a book of nonsense. I've read it and it makes no sense to me. <laughs> and the kid responds, he says, sir, the Bible is God's love letter to his children. If you've read it and it doesn't make any sense, it's because you're reading somebody else's mail. <laughs> Friend, if you're here today and your heart has grown cold to God, to his truth, that is, that is a dangerous thing. It's not the talent of the preacher that turns it on for you. It's the heart that is open to the Word of God who has ears to hear, comes humbly before God, and the Holy Spirit turns that on. It is the same sun that softens the wax, hardens the clay. Therefore, I speak unto them in parables. You know, an unexplained parable is an impossible riddle. It could only be guessed at. Matthew 13, 34, all these things spake Jesus unto multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them. From this point forward, he speaks to them in impossible riddles. Is that judgment? Is that judgment? You don't want to listen. You don't want the truth. He turns the light off. Is that concerning? Did anybody see that coming from Jesus? He elaborates on this couple last thoughts. Obviously, our time is gone. It's my forte. Verse 14. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, by hearing ye shall hear, you'll not understand. Seeing you'll see, but you, you won't get it. You won't perceive what it means. Why? Because they're, the people's heart is wax gross there. It's, it's the idea of being dull. It's actually a word that means it's gotten fat. It's, it's like it doesn't have good senses. The, the heart is just becomes so fattened and, and dull. It just, it's dull of hearing. It's slow to hear. Their eyes have they, look, look what it says, their eyes they have closed. They, they've, their ears are dull. Their eyes have, they've closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, should understand with their heart, should be converted, and I would heal them. What's interesting, wax gross or the word dull there, it's in the passive voice, which has been referred to also as the divine passive, which means this is a divine judgment of God. He closed them down. They wouldn't open their eyes and ears to it, and he caused their heart to become closed to it. It's a divine judgment of God. Peter preached this same passage in Acts 28, 23 through 28 says, I'll just kind of close out with this passage. It says, when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him at his lodging. And he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus out of the law. He didn't have the New Testament, the law and the Old Testament prophets in the morning until evening. Some believed the things that were spoken, some believed not. When they agreed not among themselves, they departed after Paul spoke one word. Look, look where Paul goes and how I, the book of Acts ends. Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet and the father, saying, Go unto this people, saying, Hear, shall not hear and understand. See, ye shall not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes they have closed. Thus at any time they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart. They should be converted. I should heal them. Be it known, therefore, unto you that salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and they will hear it. Praise God for that. Verse 16, but blessed are your eyes, Matthew 13, 16, for they see your ears, for they hear. And I say that to you, church, today. Blessed are you. 
Blessed are you. Who comes when it's negative 21 windshield last week? Who comes when it's freezing this morning? You're going to walk through slush. Uh, blessed are your ears. You don't, you don't come to church if you don't really hunger and thirst after. That's why I want, I'll preach as more passionately as I can any time of the year when it's bad weather because I feel like the faithfulness of God's people when it's hard. What a joy. For verily I say to you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them and to hear the things you hear and have not heard them. But we're going to expound on this parable and the other parables in the coming weeks and months. And these are, these are going to be treasures that we get to open up. And so uh, pray that God will help you understand and grasp these things so that we could also teach them to those in our lives. Today, do you have ears to hear? Let us hear. Amen.